Wait, 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 before you skip the intro, I just wanted to announce right at the top that Let's Dive Deep now has a Facebook group with Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter on the horizon. We want to look for more ways to interact with you guys since we will be doing this type of podcast for at least another year or so. That'll be facebook.com slash groups slash Let's Dive Deep if you are keen on joining. The, the, the question to get in is I solemnly swear I am up to no, and then the answer is obviously good. If you would like a link to that Facebook group instead of typing it in, it will be in the show notes. Anyways, now that that's done, we can get back into Hamilton. I know the action in the street is exciting, but Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. We need to handle our financial situation. Are we a nation of states? What's the state of our nation? A past patiently waiting and passionately smashing every expectation, every action, the act of creation. I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow. For the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. And gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today we are going to be continuing after a rather long pause, our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be focusing on songs 40 through 42. That's Blow Us All Away, Stay Alive, and It's Quiet Uptown. As per usual, we will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and, of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So no matter where or how you have experienced Hamilton before, this podcast right here that you are listening to is the perfect place for you to be. As always, Let's Dive Deep will probably contain adult content, like three characters stripping down to their socks. So if that is not something that you want to hear us talk about today, then I recommend turning this podcast off until you're not around any children, or just going to another maybe more family-friendly Hamilton podcast if it exists, because there will definitely be some adult content in this one. Additionally, another thing that is going to be coming your way is some spoilers. Let's Dive Deep, Hamilton does contain spoilers. While our focus each episode is a specific set of songs, we will always be taking into account the entire musical to add context to our discussion. If you're enjoying this podcast, there's a few things for you to do. The first is to go and leave us a rating or a review wherever you are listening to this. That helps it get out to more people. Uh, we, we've kind of accidentally, life just hit us both in the face really hard at the same time. So we haven't recorded in like a month. But you guys have still been listening more than ever, which is absolutely wild. So go and bring more people in. The podcast is more popular than ever. And I, I appreciate that considering we haven't recorded in a while. I also did a, a one season deep dive on the first season of Bridgerton after Hamilton is done we may or may not have harry potter coming up i want to do some let's dive deep ted lasso so kind of hitting all the let's dive deep feeds and subscribing to them will be a great way to make sure you don't miss those podcasts when they come out otherwise we are on twitter at let's dive deep and uh the gmail is let's dive deep pod at gmail.com if you want to send some emails our way all right so that's all the housekeeping that is all the chorin so we are now ready to go 
So let's kick back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. We've got ours. I've got some Jim Beam here with me. Bradley's a little earlier in the day. He's got his Timmy Hortons hanging out. This is not a sponsored podcast. We just like Yo, our brands. Tim, Hort- Tim Hortons, though, we won't even take money, just coffee. If you, you want to sponsor us. us, please. Same with Jim let's... Beam. We'll just take the whiskey. You don't have to pay us. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. That'd I'm be... going to send this clip to Jim Beam. That'd be really great. Let's do that. Let's send that to Jim Beam. And let's send ourselves into section one of this episode as we dive deep into Hamilton. Perhaps if you had only heard the shit he said about you, I doubt you would have let it slide. And I was not about to slow down. I came to ask you for advice. This is my very first school. They don't exactly cover this subject in boarding school. Did your friends attempt to negotiate a peace? He refused to apologize. We had to let the peace talk cease. Where is this happening? Across the river in Jersey. Everything, Everything is legal in New Jersey. Jersey. All right. So this is what you're going to do. Stand there like a man until Eker is in front of you. When the time comes, fire your weapon in the air. This will put an end to the whole affair. What if he decides to shoot and I'm a goner? No, he'll follow suit if he's truly a man of honor. To take someone's life, that is something you can't shake. Fill up your mother can't take another heartbreak. Father, promise me. You don't want this young man's blood on your conscience. Okay, I promise. Come back home when you're done. Take my guns. Be smart. Make me proud, son. My name is Philip. I am a poet. And I'm a little nervous, but I can't show it. I'm sorry, I'm a Hamilton with pride. You talk about my father, I cannot let it slide. Mr. Eaker, how was the rest of your show? I'd rather skip the pleasantries. Let's go. Grab your pistol. Confer with your men. The duel will commence after we count to ten. Count to ten. Look them in the eye, ain't no higher. Summon all the courage you require. And slowly and clearly aim your gun towards the sky. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. We are here for the first time in a while, diving deep into Hamilton, and this episode is going to be exceptionally sad. Uh, If you're sitting in your car on your commute, uh, try not to cry in the middle of traffic, Uh, but we might get there at some point. These three songs are not happy, but they start out kind of happy, I suppose. This is the song I stole the jingle from. I forgot I'd done that until I listened to this this morning to take notes, and I was like, holy shit, (laughs) it's the jingle song. So that was super fun. Um, And we open with Philip. Now, Philip is the the only kind of real, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Exposure to Philip we've had is his counting to 10 kind of earlier at the beginning um, with Eliza. And we haven't really seen him around too much. So it's kind of fun that he's just 19 all of a sudden. He's kind of got a bit of a glow up here. And this is funny and charming and super cool. And it's a very, very efficient way to get us kind of up to speed of where Philip is. And it's also very uh, efficient from the, the currency of the musical because he starts introducing himself as with the same lines from my shot, the, the Hamilton song earlier, kind of, kind of nailing down that this is his son, right? They're very similar musical themes going on. But also, he also went to King's College, and I think that's super cool. Um, also, Philip being 19 is very important because later in the musical, Burr is going to, uh, when he's trying to justify why he shot Hamilton, he's going to do a very poor job of it. Um, but one of the things he says is he doesn't want to make an orphan of his daughter. But we know from the musical that these two are born at the same time. So Philip being 19 here means we can extrapolate that 
Um, Burr's daughter is probably in her mid-20s, early 20s, later in the musical when that happens. So Philip being 19 is a very key number for us to keep track of where we are in terms of some of the other characters in this show and how old they are as well. I love the emotional weight you're talking about there, talking about, once again, we have another comparison between Burr and Hamilton. I think that that's really key to bring up here. I love that. All that being said, I want to circle back just a little bit what you're talking about with the with the jingle there and how like the glow up that you mentioned and the happy the brightness the bounciness of this it really creates a kind of emotional dissonance between what's what we're experiencing now at the top of the track and then what comes later right because this is very we get this braggadocio we get this bounciness we get this this really happy energy coming out of Philip and this music. And that makes it more of a punch to the gut when we get what we're about to get. Well, you also need it because um, it's hard after if you're when you're doing this podcast, you're not listening to the whole musical. Like this is right after burn. I think it is like Philip. like we just had Philip Sue fucking mm-hmm. burning shit on the stage. And that was very sad. And the sadness doesn't really stop. And so you need this 30 seconds of just relief. So by the time you're just hit again, you've at least had a little bit of time to recover. So I think it, it helps emotionally because um, we were talking about this kind of just before we started. This musical doesn't really get less sad from here. It just gets differently emotional. Like it, it, mm-hmm. you need this moment here to kind of breathe a little bit. There are some other fun moments later too, where you just get 10, 15, 30 seconds of relief before they just punch you in the face again, which is, which is very nice. And this is a very, very efficient and effective way of doing that. Absolutely. Sometimes it's easy to think of building a, a play uh, as a bit like building a roller coaster, you know, a, a roller coaster that just starts at 100 feet in the air and goes straight down is not necessarily a roller coaster. It's just a free fall. And that's a perfectly acceptable amusement park ride. That's fine. But if you want a roller coaster, you you increase the drama of going down by lifting things up beforehand. And I think here we see Miranda and the rest of the team doing that in a very expert way. Yeah, uh, there's some really funny lines here. I'll just call some of them out before uh, old Philip departs us at the end of this <laughs> episode. He's a quick shelf life, Philip. Um, the scholars say I got the same virtuosity and brains as my pops. The ladies say my brain's not where the resemblance stops. Fucking iconic. Hilarious. Also, the, the, two, the two actresses they picked for the Disney Plus version to be the two ladies, incredible. They yeah. look instantly wooed by this guy like he is the Mm. sexiest man like instant attraction there and it's not done in like a weird or creepy way it's just like they are instantly just in love with this guy in a way that feels super like real i don't know how to put it but they did a phenomenal job just with their faces and emotions of acting their infatuation out in a way that really i enjoyed i think it's great yeah, I I think what I'm hearing from you, what I'm what I'm getting from you there is they deliver this performance in a way that suggests they're not uh weak. They are strong independent characters. Like they right, are absolutely. In, they're they're in control of what they're doing and they're choosing to be so smitten. That's exactly Philip. right. It's not that That's, Philip. you know. Like it would be, yeah. be a lesser 
it'd be a lesser plot point here if Philip just came across as this dude that like like kind of like the Channing Tatum character where he's just the hottest thing ever. <laughs> I get the sense from this this little interaction here that he's just fun and charismatic and attractive, but all of those things in a way that's really genuine. And I, I the way the the ladies acted out here, I, I really get that it's like a genuine affection there. And I just I just enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. That that's a hard thing to to nail. And I think all three of them got it exactly right, at least in the Disney Plus version. I'm looking forward to the sequel, uh, Hamilton Two XXL, the Phillips <laughs> Hamilton story. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right. That's, yeah. That's but yeah, exactly they're right. you know they're they're smitten and they seem uh very uh they seem game. They seem down to clown. But it's not right. like they're they're just a one-dimensional they're not a reduction of a woman like it's a very short moment but they deliver yeah. this performance with such presence that it's clear that they're just you know they're into him because they choose to be and they're kind of emblem they're emblematic of the same energy we see from angelica and to some extent eliza as well like yes we are putting the Hamilton men on a wee bit of a pedestal. We're saying they're attractive, they're smart, they're, oh man, they're so engaging, but it's done in a way by virtue of the performances that does not deny agency from the women in the story. And I think it's worth us taking the time to celebrate that because the delivery is ultra clutch. It is so good. It's very, very good. Um, then, like some of these lines too. Gotta be my own man, like my father, but bolder. Like, please, no, please do. Like, don't, like, do, do we need anyone bolder than Hamilton in this musical? Like, no, Philip, just be Philip. Like, don't. Like, <laughs> Hamilton's boldness is getting him into a lot of trouble right now. If we could just haul, like, I just, just like, every time I listen to that line now, after having seen the musical. Every time, like, oh, dear God, I, I wonder if he knows what he's actually signing up for with that statement, because that is a tough, a tough hill to climb to be bolder than Alexander Hamilton at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what's what's blacker than black? You know, there's right, none more exactly. black, you know, yeah. um, quick aside. I love that these two characters in this in the book for the show, like in the script are named Martha and Dolly. Which oh, I didn't I know that. Yeah, which I assume is just a quick like wink and a nod to Martha Washington and Dolly Madison is my assumption there. So yeah, I don't I don't know if they're supposed to be those women in this moment, but the character names I think is I think it's very cute. Yeah, uh Philip also and this this gets more thematically into what we've seen kind of approaching this song from some of the other characters. Um Philip talks about shouldering Hamilton's legacy and and so far We've only heard from the adults saying that they they're going to they're they're going to leave their legacy behind. But this is the first time one of the children is taking up that mantle. Like now it's a two way street. They're, like Hamilton has a legacy to shoulder, but Philip also is super game and super down to take that on. And it's good that we know that because that definitely influences everything that's about to happen with Philip here. Like why he does what he does and ends up in this duel is 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 from the fact that he wants to shoulder Hamilton's legacy and can't let go that this dickhead is talking shit about him. I disagree slightly, uh, just in, in minor details. I want to push back on you a little bit, ju just okay. a wee bit, because I, 
I agree with the spirit of what you're saying, but I disagree with the detail because this moment for me is Philip channeling or embodying the same thing we've heard from Burr and Alexander because they have been very focused on their parents. And so there's there's a kind of like Chris Nolan inception thing of legacy here. Like okay. Alexander Alexander Hamilton has been so concerned with legacy, he has inevitably passed that focus onto his own son. So just as he's concerned about the people that died for him that made it possible for him to survive, now his preoccupation, and you could make the argument that that preoccupation is is an obsession, his either preoccupation or obsession has been bequeathed, handed down to his own son. It was inevitable. So now Philip, as part of his inevitable downfall, is just as concerned with legacy as his father is. Gotcha. That's a fair way to take it. I hadn't really thought yeah. about it as an inevitable thing. Right? You just don't get any parenting from Hamilton. Zero. None. You don't. Like you, you know. Yeah. You, and so, like, it's hard. Really, it's hard it's, uh, yeah. The, the only parenting you get from Hamilton is go commit suicide. You know, um, but when I, when I, hot, hot, hot take from Connor, the only parenting you get from Hamilton is go commit suicide. But when I, (laughs) one of the reasons that I include the word inevitable there is because I feel like this musical is presented as a Greek tragedy rather than a contemporary or medieval one. Right. And so the discussions of the inevitable, I think, go to the core of what the show is. Gotcha. Yeah, when you're looking at through the Greek tragedy lens, it makes perfect sense that this is an inevitable kind of self-wound that, that mm-hmm. he doesn't realize he's passing down. Um, and so here's where we get into the conflict. Philip is looking for a Mr. George Eaker. I know you've written down what George Eaker actually said, which is very funny, so I'm, I'm excited to get those details. Um, <laughs> but Philip rocks up to uh, the ladies, and he's looking for George Eaker. And this is where he gets all flirty with them, and they're going to strip down to their socks and all that stuff. Um, and he goes and finds George Eaker, their 4th of July speaker. Side note, I love that 4th of July is already like a big fucking thing. And then everyone's like, yeah, fuck you, Britain. Woohoo. <laughs> so that's, that's fun. Um, <laughs> but he says, I can't have that. I'm making my father proud. Right? So more legacies looking for George Eaker. This is the, the conflict. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what George Eaker actually said? Cause in the musical, he just calls him a scoundrel. We'll get to that, but it's, it's a little more interesting. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think it's necessary to appreciate the musical. I think that they they explain enough in the show. I just find it interesting. Uh, George Eaker was speaking at again, you know, it was an Independence Day uh, event. And yeah, it was already a holiday because, you know, the opportunity to celebrate independence from the British, who wouldn't want that? I mean, it's the most right. it's the most celebrated holiday in the world. Um, and also, we love a barbecue. Get her done. So it's a New York City militia regiment and Tammany Hall. Remember them from previous episodes, right? So the Tammany Society and this militia group are having like a 4th of July parade and event. And George Eaker, as part of one of his... And at this time, he was a... My memory is that he was a lawyer with some potential political aspirations. 
But he was in the same orbit as Burr and Hamilton, all kind of like in this orbit of lawyers and politicians, and they, they kind of came up together, if you know the um if you know the expression. But he was younger, obviously. He's more contemporary to Philip's age than Alexander's. And one of the things that he really criticizes Hamilton about is George Eaker's supposition that Hamilton hates Jefferson so much, a Jefferson presidency would result in Hamilton taking up arms against the American government. Hamilton would be... Um, he would be a mutineer. He would he would start a rebellion. He would he would start an armed rebellion and oppose Jefferson by force if Jefferson's political aspirations came to fruition. That's what Eaker did. That's what he said. And I only point it out because I think that it makes it so much more <laughs> tragically sad. This is what Philip dies about. This is what gets Philip's Irish up, and he has to go fight this guy. And then when Hamilton is given the opportunity to end Jefferson's entire career, he doesn't take it. And he says, you know what? Jefferson's my dude. Like, you, you, you want to you know what I think? It's Jefferson. You know, it's up to the delegates. It's up to Hamilton. It's up to me. It's Jefferson. Jefferson is given the opportunity to fulfill the prophecy of Eager, and he turns down that opportunity. And it just, it puts a little tragic irony salt on this whole situation. Yeah, not ideal. Uh, none of this is ideal going forward, but certainly not ideal that the, the thing that you decided was so affronting that you had to go duel this guy. Uh, it turns out to be a complete sack of shit, so that's not great. Um, yeah. yeah. Now I wonder. Question for you is: If we we think about the decisions that Hamilton makes going forward, like, does he is the is there a part of Philip's? I'm going to call it Philip's sacrifice. Is there a part of Philip's sacrifice that Hamilton includes in his reckoning? Right, when I he think thinks that's, about that's part who, of it too, because you know, yeah, because now Be obviously when he backs Jefferson later, it's after Philip has died, and he knows about all of this stuff. I, I'm going to say no though, because in the musical, this is not in it at all. We're just talking about something that happened in real life. So in mm -hmm. real life, probably, but in like the musical confines, this is not a consideration. Like the consideration, no, it's, it's it's not it's not relevant at all to the musical at all because it's yeah. it's not discussed. Right, it's just. uh in the musical, the only thing we get is George Eager fucked around and found out. That's all, like, yeah. that. that's it. It's not, the actual context is not discussed. But, you know, I do want, like, does Hamilton, when he later, when he says, I endorse Jefferson, is he in some way protecting Philip's honor because Philip made the decision to go into the duel because of that? Possibly. I'd, we'll never know. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, yeah, you'll never know. Yeah. Um, so Philip decides to in like this case, they it's yeah, but ah uh, uh, boy, Philip decides the best way to go about this with George Eaker is to just interrupt a play, which is 
<laughs> I put in the notes, which is a choice. I put in the notes. Um, if I was in the crowd of this play, I'd be so pissed right now. <laughs> like you're just there as an audience member, and you don't give a shit about George Eaker or Hamilton or any of this shit. You're just there watching your play, and all of a sudden this fucking dingus comes up here and starts yelling at Eaker. Like I think it shows in a way, Phillips kind of. I don't want to say immaturity, but like he's not going to live up to this moment. Like, I feel like this is the first bad choice, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're going to pick Eker at a moment when he's going to be most mad to see you when he's trying to, like, I don't know. Anyway, so he he says, you, sh you should have watched your mouth before you talked about my father. And then George says, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. Your father's a scoundrel, and so it seems are you. Correct? Like, Hamilton at this point, like, if you are Philip, like, Hamilton at this point, especially in the musical where we don't get the what George Eaker actually said, I think if you're watching this musical for the first time, you assume when George Eaker says Hamilton's a scoundrel, it has nothing to do with Jefferson at all. It's more about the Reynolds pamphlet and the affair and all that, at least in the mm -hmm. musical confines. So if you're yeah. just watching the musical and you know nothing about this, what has happened here is that you assume George Eaker is talking about all of the Reynolds pamphlet stuff, thus calling Hamilton a scoundrel, and Philip is going in and being like, nah, 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 you ain't talking shit about my dad. And it's like, Philip, like, have you read the Reynolds pamphlet? <laughs> I like, hope scoundrel, he hasn't. Scoundrel is the nicest. What? This is not like, <laughs> scoundrel is the minimum Hamilton deserves for that. Like, this is not a good reason to go and duel this guy. Your father is a shithead. It's a lovable shithead. The musical's <laughs> named after him. We like the shithead. But he is definitely a shithead. Like, dueling anyone who's going to talk shit about Hamilton will get you killed eventually. So I think this is a terrible play from Philip. Yeah, Philip poses here as if George Eaker is likely the only one that is talking shit about Alexander <laughs> right, at this point right. in his life. Like, <laughs> like, Alexander is a notable politician, a notable public figure. Everyone knows about this guy. Right? Like, even if 1% of the people were talking shit about Hamilton half the time, that's still thousands and thousands of people. Like, it's ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Philip would have a full dance card if he was going to try to take everybody right. down. He'd have you know? to be the greatest marksman <laughs> of all time with the least failing pistol ever to survive if this was his trajectory. Like, what? Yeah, his, his, his KD would be pretty, pretty insane. Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> He'd be a great Absolutely. Twitch streamer. Yeah, he would be a great <laughs> Twitch streamer. Um, this interaction with Eker is concerning because Eker sounds like a man that has dueled before, right? Like, Philip jumps, like, I, I like that they're playing Philip as a 19-year-old. Like, he just jumps straight to the duel. Like, there's no intermediary. He's like, we'll mm -hmm. see you on the dueling ground. You're like, oh, I think that, that strikes me as like a 19-year-old who hasn't really dealt with these kind of things before. Right, and Eker's like, yeah, 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 sure, 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 fuck off, I know where to find you. And, like, Eker sounds like a man who's just gonna kill this guy. Like, he's gonna, he's gonna watch his play, he's gonna go to the duel, he's not gonna count to ten, he's just gonna shoot him and be on with his life. And, right, I just, I just get the sense that Philip didn't really leave this understanding who he was up against. Because without knowing a thing about George Eker, I can tell from the musical, this guy... You probably shouldn't mess around with him on a dueling ground, which means the actor for this character is fantastic because that's the sense mm -hmm. I get from him. Yeah, I think that's a really good reading of the show, man, because just the 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 dialogue and also it it comes across on the soundtrack 
the delivery of those lines, both sung and spoken, you get the sense that this is a brawler. This is a dueler. This is a guy who is experienced, knows what he's doing. When you watch it live or on the Disney Plus version, they, they really do double down on that. His performance is really key. Like this is a this is a really good duelist. And he's he's so blase about it. That lets you know how comfortable he is with the upcoming violence. He's like leaning back, he's got his feet up. Like he's not mm-hmm. even concerned. And he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm not like your schoolboys, get out of here. Like it's not even a concern for him. Like he's not concerned at all that he's going to die in this duel. Like it's yeah. not even yeah, this, you know, uh, this is uh, Philip Hamilton challenging John Wick to a duel. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Right, absolutely. That's, um, yes, that's the sense I get. And This is, turns this out is no Charles Lee. George Eaker right. is no Charles Lee, you know? Right, that's exactly right. Okay, so now we, okay. Your dainty breasts. We've spent the whole second act dunking on Hamilton. Deservedly so. I think the show is trying to get us to dunk on Hamilton. And it just Audience, gets worse. Audience, it's, it's going to continue. <laughs> if you were listening to Act 2 hoping we would sympathize with Hamilton, <laughs> at least you're wrong for this one. And here we go. Philip goes to talk to his fucking dad, Alexander Hamilton, about this duel. And this is where shit gets fucking insane. Uh, he opens up with pops if you had only heard the shit he said about you i doubt you would have let it slide and i was not about to philip your father is an adult a notable public figure like this is like this is what i'm trying to say like for hamilton this is fucking nothing like there's no way hamilton would have done this duel like i don't think if hamilton was there i don't know like it's ridiculous that philip comes and says but dad if you had only heard what i heard like Phil, have you read the Reynolds pamphlet? Hamilton's heard this shit before. This isn't new to him. This isn't the first person to ever talk shit about Hamilton. But also, this is where Hamilton needs to be like, oh, son, oh, dear boy, I appreciate you. Thank you for taking this on. Let's not do this duel. I'll be fine. My honor is intact. Who, like, who's George? I don't think George Eaker has the public notoriety to disparage Hamilton. Like, the whole thing is dumb. <laughs> Hamilton needs to, at this point, be like, hey, Philip, I'm an adult. And I'm not going to send you into a duel with this guy because he called me a scoundrel. And that's not good. I think that your opinion of Hamilton here is admirable and correct based on my reading of the play as well. But I also consider it a feature and not a bug. I no, it's not a bug at all. (laughs) Yeah, I think that the version of Hamilton that we get in this show is that Alexander Hamilton is allowed to say whatever he wants to say about himself. He curates and controls and restricts what everyone else says about him. So Philip, getting this legacy of controlled comment from his father, of course this is going to be his reaction, and of course Alexander Hamilton is going to endorse it. And also... My son wants to be a man. Look, he's going to the, you know, I've always been a dueler too. My son is finally, my my firstborn son is going to have a duel. I'm so proud of you. I 
this feels very in character for the version of Hamilton we get in this show, and that's what makes it so tragic and awful. Right, it's infuriating. It's not, it is a feature, not yeah. a bug. It's just infuriating. It is. Uh, and it just gets worse. Philip, I put in the notes, Philip walks into the room and pretty much goes, hey, Dad, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing and I might die. Do you have any advice? Um, what he actually said was, I came to ask you for advice. This is my very first duel. They don't exactly mm-hmm. cover the subject in boarding school. Like, yeah, Philip. Yeah. Like, listen yeah. to yourself. Don't let's... duel this guy. Do a few practice rounds. Like, what are you doing? And let's contrast that with a line earlier in the song relative to what you brought up about George Eaker being an apparent dueling professional. Yeah, I don't fool around. I'm not your little schoolboy friends. Right. You know, and also great, great rhyming scheme between George's yeah, I don't fool around and Phillips see you on the dueling ground. That that yeah. rhyming couplet is so good fantastic hamilton <laughs> we're back to the dual commandments though at least hamilton is following the 10 dual commandments like mm-hmm. did your friends attempt to negotiate a peace um <laughs> philip oh poor philip he refused to apologize we had to let the peace talk cease try harder philip try harder like keep working at it don't give up this easy like this guy is going to shoot you but no it's okay um where is this happening another little bit of comedy just a little bit of levi- levity across the river in new jersey everything is legal in new jersey so good such a good line mm-hmm. yeah still is by the way fun fact about the united states of america that's that's where the purge is set everything's still legal in new jersey whatever you want to do it's fine right the garden state i wouldn't state. be surprised you... i wouldn't be surprised if duels were still legal in new jersey and people just didn't do them because like federally it <laughs> Like there's some, I, I reckon like, I wouldn't be surprised if the people of New Jersey just went, yeah, I think the feds got that covered. We're not gonna, like, you can duel here if you want. And then. Yeah. As much as you want. It's fine. Everything's legal there still to this day. Yeah. yeah. And this is where Hamilton, at least in my head, has his, I'm going to call it his, his kind of Jefferson Madison moment where they, they were like I, earlier in the musical, I talked about when they traded the capital for the banking system. How they mm-hmm. just misjudged, 100% misjudged what Hamilton wanted and what he was willing to give up, right? Because they should have known that Hamilton doesn't give a shit where the capital is going to go if he gets the banks. Like, this is not an equitable trade. Yeah, Hamilton's mm-hmm. getting everything he wants and giving up nothing that he wants, right? And here, Hamilton makes the same misjudgment about how this duel is going to go. He has this, like, warped sense of honor or personal experience about his duels or whatever and part of it comes from a place of of kindness like he doesn't want his son to be a murderer he doesn't want his son to have this young man's blood on his conscience but part of it's also he just underestimates the fact that the other person in the duel is going to care the same way and the advice to philip is to to fire your pistol in the air and philip says and i quote but what if he decides to shoot then i'm a goner this is where hamild needs to be like oh good point that's a pretty big flaw in this plan is that then you're just going to get killed that's right that's a good that's a good flaw to point out philip let's think about that no 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 no. that's not what he does he goes yeah that's the whole point dude that's the whole point you're either going to get completely murdered or nothing's going to happen those are the two options it's ridiculous i hate this i hate this i love this what you just i love it for that I love, oh, no, 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 I, I, I love, what I'm saying is I love that you brought it up because you're talking about 
that reversal between the um you know the corrupt bargain right and and now we get to here so because i'm going to talk about the rule of threes and how this connects to ten duel and then later hamilton and burr and what you're saying is originally jefferson madison and burr misjudged hamilton because he he wanted what he got you know you got scared of the game you stay in the game so he had so he had the upper hand there here he misjudges and he loses the hand here and so now we have the reversal that will then only be paid off later again in triplicate we get a we get a three act you know series of moments when burr misjudges hamilton you know and i oh that's such an astute observation i love that you brought it up yeah um i also want to point out you know a lot of this second act just by the virtue of storytelling we've talked a lot about like the narrative of the story and i think we've diverted a little bit fairly so in the second act from like the lighting and the costumes and the sets and everything i just want to do one call out for this song um especially later on during the dual part of it um the set design here is fantastic right you really get the sense that these two are a father and a son kind of in a sitting room or an office having a proper family chat about a duel and i i I really you know it's all these little things that independently don't matter a whole lot but when they come together in like perfect harmony it creates like a great experience i think one of the set designs i called out from uh act one in my awards was was an office space or like the bar space in the in my shot um Mm -hmm. care which one it was but it might have been the bar space in my shot it's just a little thing the barrels that people are sitting at the way the table is designed the little mugs that they're using it just kind of adds i it's a small thing to create hamilton's office in a way that's believable um but i really enjoy this set design in this moment it gives you a real sense that these are like two people in like an office space that is believably hamilton having an actual discussion about this and i i enjoy that from a design perspective even though no one's gonna flag it as like the best design in act two i don't think yeah it's really strong in it's subtlety um another subtle moment that i think is equally strong i'll piggyback off of you and add another one is the moment where Philip interrupts Eker at the play and they wisely use the second tier gallery of the set as the box that Eker is in. Right. You know, so, and that lets you know, first of all, this detail is brilliant. So George Eker has a box, which means he can afford his own private room to watch the play. Whereas Philip Hamilton, even though he's Hamilton's son, he's positioned in the scene as a groundling. He can only afford a standing room ticket. He can't afford a box seat. So that, the way that moment is staged, it lets you know that in this equation between Philip Hamilton and George Eaker, Philip Hamilton is already the loser. He is already less than George which goes back to George being an experienced duelist and Philip not being one. Eker saying, I'm not one of your school boyfriends. Like, we already know, because of their positioning on stage, 
and Ether's oh, elevation, right? Philip I was Hamilton say the elevation is a, always the easiest trick. I know nothing about yeah. set design, but movies, TV shows, musicals, the easiest thing you can play with is either putting one character actually higher than another or using the camera angle to give us the right. sense that one character is higher, taller, in a position of power. Like it's very, very it's why it's why most thrones have like steps that go up to them. Like mm-hmm. not only is yeah. the person on a throne, they're higher than everyone else while they're on it. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the elevation, the light saturation in this whole song is very, very good. I don't know if saturation mm-hmm. is a term people in lighting use, but I'm gonna call it, it saturation, right? It like having having Eker and, and Philip kind of positioned in these white lights, but they like move into the blue lights. They're not they don't look separate, they kind of look one together where the people that are performing the play that they're watching are kind of desaturated into this blue light. Uh, it comes up again later after the, the duel. And so I just wanted to call out the lighting and the set design in this song because I yeah. I didn't want to get sucked fully into the narrative and not mention it. So saturation is the term that we use for the uh, the value of a given hue, right? So in that scene that you're talking about, let's say we've got white lights and we've got blue lights. The um the white light would be unsaturated or desaturated because it has very little value. It is white, right? Whereas blue, being on stage, is very heavily saturated. So you can create contrast between those two elements by having one being higher saturated than the other. Um, similarly, you could have you know you could use saturation differently if you had like say if you had three different blues on stage you could use the less saturated one to establish emphasis instead of white right um also i love that you brought up the actors i think it's such a great detail that they included in the staging of this number there's two actors performing the play the play that they're watching that, that they are watching they don't have any dialogue, but they have blocking. They, you know, they react to what's going oh, they on. Have, they have a, yeah. they have choreography and it cues yeah. as soon as as soon as it's time for Eker to to speak, they freeze. It's really well done. It's very. Cool. It is. It's really great. It's so funny, and it's also you know part of the reason. Part of the reason we have um, the modern theaters and cinemas that we have now is the uh the composer Wagner got tired of moments like this happening where every every play was a party because you went to the theater to be seen and the chandeliers were always lit and 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 things like this would happen all the time and Wagner was like nah we're going to get rid of these box seats and we're going to just going to have rows of chairs and everybody's going to face forward and we're going to turn the lights off so you can actually watch the opera instead right. of fighting or talking with each other, you know? And so I love this inclusion in Hamilton, the musical, because it's a relic of what live theater used to be. I mean, these, these things happened all the time. Um, another examples of this, if you want to, if you want more exposure, uh, dear listeners, um, would be uh, a hilarious and wonderful film called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Uh, and also, oh God, what is it? There's a, it's a Steve Martin movie. Uh, Roxanne, uh, is excellent for this. Anyway, another theater tangent brought to you by Decom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, now this next part is the part that is the most, 
warp. I don't even know how Hamilton mentally does the gymnastics to get here, but he got here. Um, <laughs> Phillips. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry. Hamilton says. After Philip says, what if he decides to shoot, then I'm a goner. Hamilton says, no. Like, not only, like, it's not even a consideration that his son is going to get shot here if he fires his pistol in the air. Right? Like, no, he'll follow suit if he's truly a man of honor to take someone's life that is something you can't shake. We're going to get to the next line. But here, Mm -hmm. just again, a warped sense of what honor means to each person. Like, he is putting his own sense of honor onto George Eaker, a man who does not share that same sense of honor. Right, he's mistaking, he's overestimating or underestimating here what George Eaker's version of honor is going to be. Because George Eaker's version of honor is like, oh shit, free target. Like it's a duel. Like George Eaker, other than cheating before ten, which is not cool, does nothing wrong here. Like it's a duel. Philip challenged him to this duel, so he shoots Philip. Like that's the whole point, right? It, it's Hamilton's warped sense of honor here, and the the misjudgment that Eaker also shares that sense of honor. That is crazy. And then he says. Philip, your mother can't take another heartbreak. Like, <laughs> then what? How do you say that? And then go, yeah, take my guns, make me proud. Like, literally, hey, Philip, I hear I'm grabbing you the weapons. Yeah, you're going to do this duel. Yeah, your mother can't take another heartbreak. So don't get shot. That'd be, t- oh, wait, here, here are the fucking guns. Here, take these. Like, it's, re- Ugh, I hate it. But I love it, but I hate it. It could only have been worse if Alexander had offered to hold Philip's beer. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. If Philip had said, hold my beer, and Hamilton was like, of course, son. Like, that would have been, oh, my God. <laughs> also, it's worth noting that Hamilton is the exclusive reason why Eliza can't take another heartbreak. This isn't Philip. It's not like, hey, Philip, you've broken your mom's heart like 18 times. Try not for a 19th. It's like, Hamilton fucked the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. And it's now like, hey, Philip, by the way, your mom can't take another heartbreak. Like, who caused that heartbreak? Hamilton, that was you. That was not Philip. And tell him not to duel then. There's a 0% chance of him dying if he doesn't duel. Come on. Mm-hmm. And then this is, you know, everything being because of Alexander, we get a reminder as Philip is whistling his way to Weehawken, we get uh i'm sorry i'm a hamilton with pride you talk about my father i can't let it slide once again we focus on the fact that this is a resultant event because of things that alexander has done through his life and then also when he's given the opportunity to prevent it as you very uh, adroitly point out he just lets it happen go on Go, you know, gives him the guns, which I guess, I guess if you personally know your pistols are top grade is a helpful thing to do, but you've already instructed your son to fucking aim it at the air anyway. Why not just give him like a fucking like it doesn't matter what he's holding. If he if you've instructed him to just aim it at the sky, why are you giving him your like what? I don't I, I Hamilton here is bonkers. I don't understand any of it, but it's perfectly Hamilton. Take My Guns is one of, for me at least, Take My Guns is one of the lines in the show where its length is so directly disproportionate to how fascinating I find it. Okay? Right. It's, it's, it's three words. But 
all right, I'm gonna like if you if, if you need to head to the if you if you need to head to the water closet, I'm just gonna just go off for a second. So the thing is, like, take my guns, right? Number one, yes, that kind of implies Alexander has really good dueling pistols, okay? Which I believe because Alexander Hamilton, as I have gone to certain lengths on this podcast to communicate to people, Alexander Hamilton was, in fact, a very talented and brilliant soldier. And I think that the show exemplifies this, displays this very well. And we, and we double down on that later when Bur- when Burr says, I'm a terrible shot. And by contrast, that leads us to understand Hamilton is not. Hamilton is a good sh- soldier. So Hamilton has very good dueling pistols. So that just fact. Number two, this is the... The bestowing of the gift to the hero before the hero goes to face a trial. You know, Philip is is thinking he's a hero, right? And so this is an inversion of the trope, okay? Philip is never going to actually achieve anything, even though Obi-Wan has given him his father's lightsaber. He's never going to achieve anything with it, right? And why... Why does Alexander have to give Philip his pistols? That implies that Philip doesn't even own his own pistols. So not only has he never dueled before, right? (laughs) But, like, why does he need to take your guns? Like, are yours that much better than his? No. I mean, the fact is, if he's been shooting training with his own pistols, then he knows them better. So in a life-or-death situation... He should be shooting his own. He should be shooting his own pistols that he knows, but because he doesn't have... So I think the fact that Hamilton hands his pistols over to his son means that Philip doesn't have his own. And that is communicative of just how inexperienced he is when it comes to actually having a legitimate tilt. So like he is just completely inexperienced. That line, I I swear, dude, that three word line, take my guns, that like that section right there tells you so much about how poor of a decision this is on Alexander's part. There's so much to unpack on just those three words. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think we've dunked on Hamilton enough for this moment. We're going to continue later we'll put a pause here um philip and eker go to duel and i want to call out the music for this one because we are about to intertwine so many different musical themes and much like non-stop it is perfect there is such a vibe to this moment something terrible is about to happen but before it happens they really like get you into the beat there's something about uh, like confer with your men the duel will commence after we count to 10 count to 10 mm-hmm. like the like there's something about the rhythm of this song um and then after eager shoots it's immediately to that piano like it, it just flips like that and it's so well done that i i just want to call it the mu- the, the specific music and like the intertwining of all these different themes here is is superb. Yeah, it's back to that whole roller coaster thing, right? The the drop that we're about to experience is made more impactful because before that moment we keep going higher and higher. We keep going up into the register, you know. And things to me to my ear, 
things are lifting underneath count to 10. Things are getting higher in pitch and also louder in volume. We just keep building and building and then the gunshot. And that's that's made more impactful by coming on seven instead of 10. Because that, you know, he cheats. As you put in the notes, he cheats. He shoots early and it's reflected in the music so well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I like this one moment from Philip. I will give Philip credit for all his inexperience. He rocks up with a little bit of swagger. Mr. Eaker, how was the rest of your show? Hilarious. Good <laughs> shit, Philip. Um, again, Mr. Eaker just saying, like, with his little fucking cape thing, like, he's got a little cloaky cape, like, thing. Like, his, his costume on set is very intimidating. And him saying, I'd rather skip the pleasantries, let's go. It's like, Philip, now is when you leave. Like, roll your ass back. Like, this guy is going to fucking shoot you. It's really mm -hmm. obvious, like, just by his... Um, demeanor i love this though still that we keep recycling this line look them in the eye aim no higher summon all the courage you require for these fucking people who just immediately don't even listen to that advice and immediately aim higher and just get <laughs> killed it's like i love the line and i think it's one of the most kind of iconic hamilton lines if you ask someone write down mm -hmm. like 10 lines from hamilton Right, I think in that five to ten bracket, there's something so repetitive and interesting, and it's easy to remember. Like, look him in the eye, aim no higher, summon all the courage you require. There's something kind of visceral about that. But all these people don't listen to that advice. Like it, ugh. it's just the Hamiltons that don't. And I think that's true. again, it's just the that's that's a feature, and that's why it's reiterated the social expectation for. The populace writ large is that you're actually going to duel and shoot and actually try to do damage. But Alexander believes that by subverting that expectation, you're actually being noble. There's nobility in doing that. And I think that's why it's repeated is is to is to say this is how this is how I, Alexander Hamilton, believe that you can duel nobly. Everybody else expects you aim at the head and wish for the best i believe you aim at the sky because it's better to do that than take another life so i think uh, that's why it's repeated in the show for me at least i'm just i'm just wondering why the hamiltons don't write another line then <laughs> like <laughs> look him in the eye aim all the way fucking upwards right now <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like i don't know like they they like and at some point, they can change their own line here. Anyways, I just think it, I well, like no, the thematic room. It's the company that says that line. That, that it's the ensemble, true. right? They are, they are emblematic of society as a group. And part of the show, part of the narrative that they chose to tell is that the Hamiltons are exceptional. That, that's the POV of the show. The POV of this musical is that the Hamiltons, as a family, are better and exceptional. Therefore, the company says, this is how we duel. Society, the company, says we duel in this way. And then Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, as an individual, he gets to say, here's what you do. When actually, you know, like when you're actually in the shit, what you actually do is you put your your pistol in the sky. I have a different opinion of what nobility is. If he is a man of honor, he will do the same. Either Hamilton is being foolish 
or he's being optimistic. That's up for us to decide as viewers, right? Or optimistically foolish. Or, or yeah, a, a poor Canolo's dose, okay? <laughs> but, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity for him to differentiate himself between the general populace, right? So he... So yeah, so Hamilton has written his own new line. His new line is aim for the sun. Aim for the moon. <laughs> you know? That's like, but he doesn't but he doesn't vocalize it in that way. He doesn't express the nuance of what he does. But I feel like in the context of the show, I think that's the importance of why his behavior in a duel is purported to be so differently from the general populace. Yeah, I will give Philip credit. He says, then slowly and clearly aim your pistol towards the sky. I'm not a dueling expert, but like just the slow, for those of you who are not watching our Discord video, I'm actually doing this. <laughs> like the slow, like raising, and he, that shit's up by three. Like he is clear. He did a very good job. There's no way Eker is confused here. Like, mm -hmm. Philip did a great job of like timing the rise with the count, making sure that by like four or five, the gun was already at the sky. So as he turns around, his arm is straight in the air. Like, Eker just straight up decides to shoot him, right? Like, this is not Philip fucking it up and then Eker... Th you know what I mean? Like, Philip did the thing properly at the very least. Yeah, and there's a performative aspect to that, right? Because it's not just the two of you at the dueling grounds. It, there's a minimum of five people. The there's you, the your opponent, you know, yeah, there's a minimum of five people. So you're telegraphing to everyone present. I am already decided uh, I have arrived. And as long as the duel occurs, my manhood is intact and I expect you to do the same. So it is a very communicative thing. And uh, I learned recently in researching for this episode, like, Two weeks ago, that we didn't, but, right. uh, we didn't record. A, uh, that's okay. There's a uh, um, <laughs> there's there's a term for this. It's called deloping. And to to do a duel in this way, uh, it's uh, D E L O P E. And to delope is to intentionally arrive at the dueling ground, fire into the air. And you both get to say, we're good, we're done, let's go home. It's an actual thing. It was actually a very common practice. Right. Deloping. It, it's eloping with a, with a D on the front. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Well, um, for the end of this song, uh, Eker cheats, shoots uh, Philip at second. I don't think that's the reason Philip died. I think Eker could have waited till 10 or 25 and still would have shot Philip. Like, I don't, I don't think him cheating matters in terms of whether philip leaves this duel alive or not i just think it's a nice little touch on on philip's or on eker's character that he's the kind of guy that would cheat at a duel where the other person's just aiming towards this guy anyway but also um for philip it, it continues this theme and we're going to get it one more time of not making it to 10 right like there's this theme when he's counting on the piano that in this duel um and then later when when uh eliza arrives when he's dying that he just can't quite get to 10 he can't quite get there and i i really enjoy that theme continuing yeah i do too and there's a resonance there between the the incompleteness the lack of completion the um 
the unfinished business of not being able to count to 10 and that comparing to Philip's unfinished life. You know, there's a certain, there's a dramatic comparison there that I think that is, is tragically apt, um, uh, romantic in a way. It's a, it, it's a powerful narrative tool that they do there, you know. Is there, uh, there's, there's nothing more round and complete than counting to 10 or 100. That's, that's why the metric system is so great. You know, it's just so even. Right. It's what we understand. One to ten, we use that as a scale for everything because we understand it is a complete, even system. And denying Philip that apotheosis, denying Philip the ability to get to ten, is emblematic of his life being cut short. Yeah, it's incredible. It's one of my favorite kind of subtle... It's one of those themes that you... That's not inherently necessary to tell the story, but that they just include to 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 further just do an amazing job of telling it, right? Mm-hmm. Like at some point, like it's not in 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 the story of Hamilton and researching or whatever. This counting to ten thing isn't a real thing. It's something they've included to 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 send a message and to and to create a narrative that that's that and a theme that you can follow and track. And it's exceptionally done. Yeah, like what a great creation to to have this go in there for Philip. And, and to give it nice and early so that when this happens, you, you feel it. And it hit like the almost like the bullet hits you too. Like, fuck, he didn't get to 10. Right. And he's not yeah. going to get. The, and then like in the five minutes, he's not going to get there again. Like it. Yeah, it's perfect. It's the perfect little theme that they've given for Philip here. Well, and to have that heartbeat pulse that they establish in the music, to have that line up with the melody of un du quoi, uh, un du toi. I can't speak French because I refuse to. Um, <laughs> and the, the talk at 67, we know. Ah, uh, yeah, Trebian. I got you. Uh, yeah, uh, the Trebian. Canadian in the house has something to contribute. Hooray! Indeed, yeah. Trebian, Lasalle say disparu. Um, because, like, that, that heartbeat thing lines up so well with that melody, right? That makes it even more devastating. Because the last musical thing we hear from Philip that musically agrees with what we heard from him first playing the piano, uh, that turns into be a heartbeat. And the musical unity between those things, from his first time on stage to his last time on stage, and having a through line, number one, the emotional weight of that, whoa, it's devastating. Hachi machi. But also, just the skill in building this musical. To have that heartbeat pattern from stay alive line up so well with everything that connects with Philip on stage. Like their, their leap motif and the musical construction for this show is so expertly done. And it's like the, the more you unpack this show, the more opportunities I have to be like, man, it's like, it's, it's approaching perfection. The precision that they had whilst constructing this show really does approach perfection yeah that's i mean these three songs transition just one to another to another so i think i'm good for this one i think i hamilton's a dingus i i've been told that's an actual term for like dual income no kids or something i don't know what that actually means (laughs) throughout my childhood listeners you just like if someone was like a dork or like a like a 
like dumb. It was like a it was like a school ground friendly insult that wouldn't get you like detention to just call each other dinguses. So it has nothing to do with like where the term actually came from. But I've been told it's not the correct application. I don't care. Hamilton is dumb. He's being dumb and super dumb, and Philip's being super dumb. And we're about to find out what happens to Philip. Spoiler, he gets fucking killed, which is dumb. Anyways, we'll be right back. This episode of Let's Dive Deep is brought to you by patreon.com slash let's dive deep. Patreon is a website that allows listeners of this podcast, that's you guys, for as little as $3 a month, that's roughly a cup of coffee, to gain early access to all of our Let's Dive Deep episodes while also helping to support the channel. There are other tiers as well for you to check out if you'd like to access bonus episodes or our show notes or even shoutouts on the podcast. For anyone that does go over and check it out, we appreciate your support so, so much. If you don't, though, and you're just keen on listening to the podcast as is, we appreciate you as well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope you are enjoying this podcast, this deep dive, and let's get back into Hamilton. All right, we are back. Jingle is gone. Hey, the jingle at the end of the jingle song. This is Jingleception. It would have been cooler if the jingle could have gone before the jingle song, but that's okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we are here with the reprise of Stay Alive, which is heartbreaking. Um, I just got finished doing my impression of a French listener of this podcast <laughs> sending us emails. Um, the reason why is, um, as Connor pointed out here, we have missed a bullet watch that he put in the notes. So we're gonna we're gonna start like do new new do new new bullet watch. Beep 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 bullet watch, ladies and gentlemen. We do have a bullet appearance at the end of this last number, and I bring it up because to me the staging here, going back to the success of the staging of this number, I think this is another instance of why this is so good because. There's a moment, if you're watching on Disney+, Plus, where everybody is lining up, the company is in formation, uh, stage right to stage left, and far stage left, we have Philip, and then next to him, we have his second, and then the next person, right next to Philip's second, is the bullet. And you, so when you're getting into a duel... You and your second are both, you're kind of like a cohesive unit. You are acting as one. So you really can't, if you're staging this number, you can't have the bullet interrupt the space between Philip and his second. So what I'm saying is if the bullet is next to Philip's second, that is the same in terms of narrative importance. That's the same as the bullet being next to Philip, right? And so... I love everybody taking the opportunity in this moment to once again, like now that they've established the bullet theme, they're being consistent with it. And the bullet is close to Philip and Philip is about to die. And that's going to be bad for Philip and also be bad for Hamilton. So consistency in storytelling. Gotta love it. I mean, at the beginning of the last song too, uh, Philip tried to fuck the bullet. So that was not looking good for him either. Right, mm-hmm. if we're doing bullet watch, <laughs> literally offered to shag the bullet, which is not looking good, considering just close proximity to the bullet is bad. Right, full on intercourse with the bullet is very big. No, so we should have known Philip was going to die from that moment. Never yeah, mind I mean, she, the. It's bookended. It's at the beginning of the number, at the end, right? You know, right? You know, it, you strip the bullet down to their with... socks, and you're 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 fucking dead. Yeah, intimacy with firearms is never recommended. 
What's what's that movie or the show with the the book where if you get written in the book you die? Like what is that called? There's a oh, it's, what's the name of that book? It's in a lot of different stories. Death oh, note. I death note. It's whatever. It's some kind of death note. That's what it's like with the bullet. Like if I you. Think that- I think Death Note is like a a, a Japanese uh, comic, like an anime series, I believe. Oh, right? uh, yeah, I know. I'm thinking of more of a conceptual thing. Like, I can't remember what I'm thinking of. Anyways, it's like that. But we're moving on. Um, these I just songs, want to talk about this all day, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, these songs, very interesting points to kind of cut them and move into the next song. If you're listening on the soundtrack, when I was taking notes and I was just watching, I hadn't even realized that these songs ever ended and started the next one. They just kind of flow mm-hmm. uh, together really well. The gunshot is actually the moment in the soundtrack where they kind of separate uh, the, the two songs. And we start here with um, Philip kind of bent over after taking this bullet. And you have the stay alive reprise from the ensemble kind of going on in the background or uh, kind of surround sound or whatever, like just around the whole um, kind of balcony. You have um, the lighting turned very blue, kind of, you know, getting getting Philip kind of in these blue lights, like this guy's probably going to die. Um, just a very, very nice introduction to this song and gets you with the piano, gets you right in like that sad mood you need to be in to absorb this one. And it also visually reprises if i'm not mistaken uh stay alive from act one because that whole thing of uh uh god how how many troops in new york harbor you know we have that very blue nautical theme right and so we have oh yeah my lighting pick is the best lighting in act one Yeah. yeah you know and we see it reprised here um i mean it really is that is a punch to the gut this moment in the show where Things have been moving up and up and up and up and up, and all of a sudden, we are straight down into the basement of wh- where your emotions can possibly be. Yeah, um, as we move in to, to Hamilton and the Doctor, very interesting dynamic here. The ensemble keep the ens- the ensemble the ensemble keeps um, kind of reprising "Stay Alive" and keeps singing, um, where the characters actually take a moment to talk and not sing at all, which is very rare for Hamilton and very notable. Um, when it happens, the doctor is expl- or Hamilton walks in and yells, "Where's my son?" Like, where do you think Hamilton? You sent him to a duel. Like, what? Do- what? What? Anyways, um, the doctor explains what has happened. The bullet has hit him in the hip and come through his right, like come through him and into his right arm. That sounds very terrible. Uh, not surprising. Um, you know, really sucks that this happened in the late 1700s, early 1800s, whenever this happened, because um, the wound was already infected, and that's preventable nowadays. You know, like that really sucks, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like the bullet wasn't even the main thing; it was the infection, and that just watching this in 2020, we're like, ah, fuck, that's something we can fix now. Well, you, you actually take the medication that we take to. Let's not get. Let's get. Let's not get. Now, I learned recently not everyone. Some people are pro infection. And when people provide a free, simple solution to not get sick, they will not take it and yell and scream about it to everyone that will listen. I've learned this. It's just a shame that like nobody uh, uh, rocked up to to Philip and gave him some ivermectin for that gunshot wound. Um, So. All right, so, sorry, if you're listening so anyway, to this, this is 2021 uh, where people are <laughs> eating horse paste 
instead of taking a vaccine if you're listening to this in like 2025 anyways moving on so there's a lot surrounding this moment that i that really does pull up my heartstrings number one yeah it's a short trip across the hudson river to get back to manhattan and the infection sets in early right so one thing to consider here is there could have been something in the river that got into his wound because he's in like a little rowboat going across the river right as someone's taking him he could have fell down and got something out of the ground or also there could have been something on George Eaker's dirty, dirty hands as he loaded a ball into his pistol. Right. That yeah, I don't he, think the bullet you know, is going to be like peak sanitation level. Like, um, yeah, loads of shit. yeah, you're not you're not boiling your bullets before you go out to Weehawken, right? Um, another thing, and again, this doesn't this isn't explicitly called out in the show, but I I think is connected to what we see in the show later. Uh they actually take him to Angelica's house because that was the closest family dwelling from the dueling grounds. Like if you're to draw a straight line between here are the dueling grounds in Weehawken and where can we take a Hamilton? It was Angelica's house in Manhattan that was the closest. And that makes the fact that we're about to have her narrate the last song we're going to talk about today. That like kind of ranches ratchets up the drama for me. Um, now that's slightly tempered by, I got to ask, am I crazy? Is this sexy doctor again? I feel like this is sexy oh, doctor with a jacket. Uh, I think this is, this is, this is dancing book guy. This is book this guy? Is, okay. This I, is I, for some book reason. Guy. This is sexy I book get, guy. I get book guy and sexy doctor confused, but like, man, book guy do- no, this, gives this, good this doctor. The doctor from he the, really was. This is not the doctor from the, the first duel. Right. This is right. book guy. Which I think makes sense, right? Because you don't want to have sexy doctor in this moment. This is not a, this right. is not a sexy moment. No, this guy's very, he's a good looking guy, but he's very like formal. It's like, he's I am definitely doing everything I can. Yeah. Right, he's very he like huh. He does not skip leg day. But yeah, he is very formal. And I think that I think the formality and I think the tragedy is part of why we do go into dialogue here, right? Um we're not this scene is not sung through, it is spoken through. This has musical underscoring as you've mentioned before, right? Because you have the company with the the chorus, the the repeated "Stay Alive," but we actually have an honest to god dialogue here instead of song. And there are two other moments in the show where we do this, right? And one one of them is Burr talking about the Federalist Papers in nonstop. And the the other moment, the third moment where we actually go into honest to God, bona fide, legitimate dialogue is when John Lawrence dies, played by the same actor that plays Philip. And the unity between these two moments, I just I think is so impressive. Right. Because we've, we've got a thread. We've got a connection between these two moments because of the way we drop out of sung lyrics and we go into dialogue and i think it's very subtle 
but it's also very, very clever. It is as clever as it is subtle. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, to, I don't know if I need to add anything to that. Well spoken. Um, yeah, Hamilton gets escorted over to Philip. And this, be fair to Hamilton. I do want to have a discussion with you about how much of this is Hamilton's versus Philip's fault. But okay. especially, when, especially, when, especially when Eliza comes in and says, Alexander, did you know? I think it's a good point for us to have that conversation. Um, mm. But here... In terms of being a father approaching his now dying son, well done, I guess, right? Like, just goes in very reassuring, very calming. Like, Philip's trying to explain what happened. He's like, I know, I know, like, don't waste your energy. Don't. I know you aimed at this guy. Like, the way Hamilton approaches this moment is how I wish he would have approached the whole situation, right? A little more care, a little more understanding, a little more empathy, a little more... Right. Instead of that kind of legacy focused, make me proud. Here are my guns. Like, I don't know, like this moment. It's like, man, I wish Hamilton could was just capable of this more often. And this could have all been different. Mm hmm. Yeah. I I wish it could have all been different as well. Do you want to do you want to discuss blame now or do you want to. Do you want to save it until did you know? Well, we're getting there anyway, because all that happens here is Hamilton and Philip go back and forth of Hamilton just being like, I know, I know, shh, I know, like, save your energy, it's all good. And Philip mm -hmm. trying to explain, like, even before I got to 10, um, I really like this moment, too. Um, I can't remember if it's the camera that's moving or, like, there's different camera angles when you watch it on Disney+, Plus, or if it's the actual revolve that's moving. Something about this scene, there's a little bit of, of, of movement here in the camera. I think it's the camera angles that change a little bit as you're going through it to kind of help with a sense of fluidity here. You're not just like stuck on the moment visually. Um, Cause what they're saying is pretty repetitive for a little bit here, but visually they do a good job. I can't even recollect how I'm just recollecting it uh, of giving this sense of fluidity to the moment that, that can be mm -hmm. fairly repetitive. They do this a few times during the evening, right? When you watch the show, you'll, you'll see a few moments where the movement of what's going on what's what's happening on stage they will spin things underneath the the uh, underneath moments of repeated lyrics or dialogue they'll make the turntable go in line with that right you know this hat like one of the biggest like where you really notice it is look around look around how lucky we are to be alive right now history is happening in Manhattan. We just yeah. happened to be like, that's when like you really notice the revolve moving with the lyrics. Right. And this is another moment. I think you're the camera is moving. I think that they're, they've got the camera on a boom here and they're moving it along with the, the revolution of the stage. But, my memory is that the stage itself is moving here. That's the way it looks in the light. Yeah, least, that's what right? I, yeah. I can't, I yeah. can't, I, I can just recall that I liked it. I can't recall specifically mm -hmm. um, what it was. I only watched it once this morning to take yeah. notes and I, I didn't take notes on it. I'm just remembering it now. Um, well, and Eliza comes it, in. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's another moment of them like ratcheting up the drama of this moment through disconnection. Because what they're doing is they're including more movement and more energy right before all of Philip's movement and energy stops. 
So using the revolve here to suggest movement before he goes into the unknown, right, really like makes contrast in that moment, right? It makes it really dynamic and powerful. I'm so sorry, I just had <laughs> into the unknown from Frozen start playing. Oh, sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like sorry. that's not the same kind of it's not the same kind of vibe we're going for on this one. <laughs> like, you, into the unknown. Like it's a very opera focused song. That's dude, so funny. You know what? That probably like that was <laughs> that may have been like a subconscious Freudian slip on my part. I the other day I found like all th- this treasure trove of heavy metal Disney covers. And oh, I, God, ca- yeah. I can't listen to anything else. Like, right. it's like hardcore and screamo covers of Moana and Frozen and Mulan. Like, in what? So there's a band, uh, Defiled, that did this cover of I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. I cannot stop listening to it. It is so gotcha. good. It was just really funny because uh, Into the Unknown is a very upbeat and positive, encouraging song. And I was yeah, like, it is, right? <laughs> this is not yeah. the, the right moment for that one. It is not. Um, it is not uh, me. Anyway, I'll uh, I'll hit the Discord server with a link to the uh, to that Defiled song. It's really good. I want to show them some right. luck. Uh, um, Defiled, if you want to sponsor us along with uh, Jim Beam, feel free to. And Tim yeah, Hortons. I'll, I'll take a tour shirt or something. Yeah, but absolutely. What is, oh, what if Defiled Defiled buys us Jim Beam? Then we have sponsors. There we go. Yeah, that that'd be amazing. And you Anyways. know what we could do? We could defile our Tim Hortons coffee by pouring Jim Beam in it. We are on it. I'm surprised we're no on one it. sponsored us yet. To be honest, I know we're geniuses. <laughs> um, Eliza Eliza comes in. Um, she yells no very loudly. Fair enough, Eliza. And we have to remember, this is all happening, like, in terms of when we've seen Eliza, the last time we saw her was Burn, right? So, like, we're come for, for her character, we are coming off of her burning all the letters and stuff. And this is only two songs later, right? But still, it's mm-hmm. still the last time we saw her character. So Eliza's still going through it. Like, she hasn't had a good moment in between yeah. Burn and this. So she barges in and, and yells no is he breathing is he going to survive this again fair enough but this line here who did this alexander did you know yeah like fuck fuck like fuck yeah because what i like is the musical just sits there because you know that he knew they don't need to go over it like you as the audience know yeah like oh shit he did i want to I want to point out here that after she asks, he doesn't say anything. I want to right, really that's what I mean. like, they, they, let, they let you yeah. sit with that. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so what you're saying goes back to something that I've tried to communicate before. When Alexander Hamilton is silent, that is actually more important than when he's talking because he talks all the time. He writes like he's running out of time. His silence here says, not only did I knew, not only did I know, (laughs) not only did I know, but I can't answer you because I know I'm guilty. Because he is. I believe if you want to split the blame between Philip and Alexander, fine. I think that there are going to be viewers, listeners that are going to do that. 
I think there are people that are going to split the ba- the blame between the two Hamiltons. But let me tell you, Philip's death is zero percent on Philip Hamilton. Maybe ten. Okay, I'll give him ten percent because he started the fight with George Eaker, which he shouldn't have done. He may have had a moment of brilliance where he decided he shouldn't have started the fight. So let's give him 10%. But beyond that, it's half and half George Eaker and his father, Alexander Hamilton, because Alexander Hamilton raised Philip Hamilton that was capable of doing all this nonsense. Yeah, the reason and why then- I wanted to bring up blame is because I, I have a coworker that listens to this podcast, and while we haven't got to this episode, obviously, till right now, um, mm-hmm. we t- chat about Hamilton all the time, and when we were watching it, I laid most of the blame on Hamilton, and then they I argued with me that that wasn't really fair. It was mostly Phillip's fault, because at the end of the day, Phillip's also an adult, also capable of making his own choices, and at every step, kind of enthusiastically opts into it. Right? Like, like it's it, like... Like it, like going into the duel is one thing. Like interrupting a play and confidently going at George Eaker is like another level. And I, I, I just interesting because I just disagree. Part of it's true. Like part of it is, you, at this point, Philip is an adult, and whether he was raised that way or not, he can choose to not do this duel just as much as Hamilton can choose to endorse it. Right. Yeah. And so I, I don't. I, it's interesting to. I, I'm gonna go. I, I like to go seventy-five twenty-five between Hamilton and Philip. Because I don't Hamilton, know. I don't know if a 19-year-old American dude is actually an adult. Well, my my oh. version of an adult is just 18 flat. Like 18, like you're either an adult or you're not an adult. And I just draw that at 18 so I don't have to like go through the minutiae of trying to figure it out in my own brain whether each 19-year-old yeah, right. Like obviously all 18 and 19-year-olds are different levels of maturity, whatever. Philip is a person who had a very, very cozy uh living as a child his family was wealthy his father is one of the most important people in the country um his extended family the uh schuylers are fucking loaded right he went to king's college this is not a dumb person this is a very well-equipped well-educated adult mm-hmm. right and so i i, I think and while hamilton's influence is part of it philip I, I he is a well-educated well-equipped adult who's just making bad choices for himself too so I go 75-25. The majority of this is Hamilton's fault. From the encouraging it, to the aiming at the sky, to the giving him his guns, to the not dealing with, like, if people are disparaging him, he should deal with it himself. It shouldn't be up to Philip to do in the first place. From the multiple times he had to, like, stop this duel from Hamil- or from happening, from saying your mother can't take another heartbreak, and then, you know, not taking the blame for that heartbreak and kind of putting it on Philip to not die in the mm-hmm. duel, to spare Eliza that heartbreak. Like, that's all Hamilton's fault. I do think... Philip, though, went about it in the entirely wrong way for himself, even if his father was encouraging it and supporting of it, the way Philip went about it on his own, right? It wasn't Hamilton who said, hey, go fucking interrupt Eker at the play and piss him off. Right. And then immediately right. challenge him to a duel. And then when you get to the duel, taunt it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the Hamilton didn't do that part of it either. I go 75-25. It's mostly Hamilton's go... fault. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to go... I'm going to go 60 Hamilton or no, excuse me. I think, I, I think I'm actually going to go 70 Hamilton 20 
Eaker, 10% Philip. I think that's where I, I, I'm at. I, I've decided just not to put any blame on Eaker. Like, other than cheating at the duel, which he was going to win anyway. Like, this dude is just talking shit about someone, which is fine. And then, like, this fucking guy interrupts your play. Like, I don't know. Like, if I was Eaker, like, sure, shoot him, whatever. Like, I... Like, at the end of I the am, day, like... I'm like, only attributing he, blame to Eaker because he cheated. I don't, like, Eaker... Dis, like he disrespected the social contract. He did not follow the rules, and therefore, I refuse to respect his memory by <laughs> denying him at least like, a portion of the blame. All right, well, I'm going to try and draw the fine line between not apportioning any blame to him while also not respecting his memory. And the viewers can decide whether I am able to do that or not, but I'm going to choose to do that. Bradley Kennekin. Comfortably sitting on the fence. Right. Exactly. Very I'm I'm Switzerland over here. Yeah, very like comfortable. George exactly. E George Eaker, is he bad? Is he good? Who knows? Who could possibly know? <laughs> yeah, he's all right. All right. Um I don't know how to talk about the Philip and Eliza part other than just fucking heartbreaking. Like the 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 revolve moving them around, the leaning over, the counting to ten the like it's all just and like the callback because the, the, the last time we saw philip before this he was seven nine what's the line yeah you're, uh, your son is nine old years today? old today so yeah he's nine years yeah. old right so like we yeah. jumped a decade in the future so the last time we saw this he was nine so it calls back to like an innocent nine-year-old child kind of counting at the piano with his mother except for now he's dying and it's like fuck like that sucks I just don't know how to explain it other than this whole thing is heartbreaking for Eliza. Yeah, it Philip. is. And that makes things even worse for Alexander as well, right? Because he already said, your mother cannot take another heartbreak, and now it's coming back to bite him. And I put it, I put in the notes, who is this worse for? I think it's obviously <laughs> got to be Philip because he's dead. But, like, mm -hmm. Philip, is it worse for Philip, Eliza, or Hamilton here? Because on one side, Philip dies. That's bad. On the other side, you're Eliza, and you've just come off of the Reynolds pamphlet into your husband getting your child killed, right? That's not great. Or if you're Hamilton, you've just come off the Reynolds pamphlet and getting your son killed after acknowledging, right? Like, Hamilton's obviously the most to blame, but, like, who who is it actually worse for? It might not even be Philip, to be honest. Like, dying seems a lot easier than trying to live with this shit if I'm just trying to... I don't know. Like, it's it's rough. When you really think about what's happening here, it's very rough. Well, that's the same thing that Burr discusses in World Was Wide Enough, right? I think it's... The... Okay. I think it's the worst. I think it's the worst for Betsy. And then it's bad for Philip. And then it's bad for Hamilton. Gotcha. Like, I actually think Ham I think Alexander gets off the easiest here. Because he's guilty of everything. Oh, don't worry. He's well, going to be forgiven in the next song, which is fucking nuts. You beat me to it. You beat me to it. You just, you completed my whole thought. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to. And on, no, I mean, seriously, like, uh, thanks for, for saving me the effort. But, like, on the one hand, it is kind of odd. As a viewer, though, 
of this piece of stuff. On the one hand, like I'm I'm grateful. Like okay, so objectively as a critic of art, as a as a practitioner of making art and then a critic of art that other people have made, I do sit back and I think is this long enough to sit in this trauma and it have narrative dramatic impact? Is this long enough time? Like, was this show actually well constructed? I think about that as, as a three, as a theatrician myself, right? But as a viewer, as a consumer of this show, I think, thank goodness they didn't make me sit in this nonsense any longer. Like, we need to get through this as quick as we do. You know, and it, it, they even make a joke about it after it's quiet uptown. Can we get back to politics, please? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like, let's, yeah. So, and it's, I mean, Hamilton, the show, this play is a beast. You're trying to cram so much into one evening of theater. You have to truncate some of the time here in order to make the evening like so that you can take it in one sitting, you know, otherwise it would have been a, a two night play. With what? With, with the last half of the first night and the first half of the second night being this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like it wouldn't have been, it would have been a huge chunk of sad. Yeah. For a long portion of it. Is that. Is that us transitioning into it's quiet uptown? Are we are we moving yes, along? Critic, that seems one one more critical thing I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, for and sure. This only the Disney Plus version is where you notice it the most. It is the choreograph for the live version as well, but you might not see it specifically from where you're sitting, depending on the angle. Especially if you're like up in the far kind of upper left of the audience, you might just not have the angle. Um, to see it um, you get the heartbreaking kind of counting down until philip dies um, then you get uh, eliza's scream which philip Sue delivers wonderfully mm -hmm. but it's the 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 Hamil hamilton kind of instinctively puts his hand over eliza's and she like rips it away and i just think that's so emblematic of what's happening here but i want to i want to call it out because in the next song she's going to forgive him so in one in one song, we have one song where Eliza's going from, like, crouching over her dead son's body and, like, physically ripping herself away from Hamilton, right, to forgiving him and holding his hand in one song. And these are opposite gestures. So I just want to call it out so we can kind of discuss at the end of the next one whether we think the forgiveness is deserved, but also whether we think we got there in the correct way. Because they're yeah. just so polar opposite to me. In terms of like, there's nothing, ripping your hand out of someone's hand and then literally holding their hand are opposite things. And I just want to call those opposite things out because I think they're meant to bookend the transition from this to forgiveness. I just want to discuss at the end of that whether we got there correctly. Well, it's definitely a, definitely a bookend thing, right? And, you know, just just think about everything that's going on inside uh, Philippa Sue in these moments i mean it's just all over the map she goes through every stage of grief in the the stage time of a minute and a half two minutes it's wild right it's crazy but yeah let's transition into it's quiet uptown <laughs> 
All right, so we are at It's Quiet Uptown. And this song, one of my favorites to sing if I'm doing any like Hamilton kind of karaoke by myself. Um, this and Hurricane, you really just get to be in like the emotion a little bit while having some, some fun lines to play around with. Um, but at the beginning here, Angelica is now our, our narrator of this moment. You've given in the notes a lot of good reasons as to why. Um, I just wanted to call it out in the notes because this is like a very long period of time in this musical where Burr is just not a part of it. Right, and you've pointed out that this isn't an appropriate moment for Bird to be a part of it, and that's <clears throat> totally true. Um, but just when you're watching the play, especially on repeat viewing, you just notice that Burr's not there. Correctly so, he shouldn't be here. But just so far, the whole musical has involved Burr so much for an absence, specifically for a job that he has solely fulfilled up until this point. Um, <clears throat> you just notice that he's not the one narrating. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing to notice, right? I think that it 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 does matter that it's Angelica that narrates this instead of Burr and <clears throat> really good choice on their part. You know, I just think she's the only one that knows them both well enough to be able to narrate this. Burr is not, <coughs> uh, close to Eliza in that way. I mean, with Hamilton, Burr is his first friend, his enemy as he's described in the show. Fine. I can't wait. But, I've come but, up with a really good defense of that line, and I can't <laughs> wait till we talk about it. I just, all right, fine. Cue it up. I, I'll be looking forward to it. You know, <laughs> you, you, I feel like you brought it up just now because you know I don't buy it, right? But, know, you know. And now I get, I, I, I've come up against my own will with a good defense <laughs> of that line so we can argue <laughs> about it. I am I am excited. I you know, when you and I get to argue about something just fills me with joy because it's, you know, it's somewhat of an anomaly. But yeah, I just I don't think I don't think there's any better narrator here than Angelica. It can't be Alexander because in this moment we're supposed to have opinions and we're supposed to have thoughts. We're not supposed to to give control over to him. We need a third party narrator. We require one, and the only one that makes sense is Angelica. I adore it. Yeah, it's also and... just it's just nice to see Angelica in this act. <laughs> She's just not <laughs> as big <laughs> of a part of this act, and so to see her get to just to be on stage again is lovely. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I want to um a uh, quick uh like tangent about this narration um while we're on it um i don't even remember if i included this in the notes i'm so sorry my buddy um but this is uh this was one of the songs that was the hardest for the entire team to actually accomplish and there are notes in hamilton the revolution and all just also just anecdotal stories from the production team about this being the one that was kind of hard on everybody. And one of the reasons was that the, I believe it was the choreographer, like their, their child was in chemo whilst they were trying to, to work on this show. And also for Lynn, he had just had a child with his partner and this was a part of Hamilton's story that he couldn't relate to, 
like he he wasn't able to tell this story right you know because part of the reason that he latched on to hamilton's story was because it felt so similar to his own and then he comes to this part of hamilton's story where philip has just died and he's got nothing he's got like no words available for this and there's there are stories about him wandering around the theater trying to write the song and not being able to do so and that's where the line comes from there are moments that the words don't reach and anecdotally that was apparently the line that was like oh crap now i have the song it is all going to be about there are moments that the words don't reach it is all going to be about there there is there is some pain that I can't even talk about. And I'm going to... And so the song becomes an exploration of trying to discover what it is like to experience that pain when you haven't known it before. And I really... Like, knowing all of that and exploring all of that both mentally and emotionally... I can't imagine it being in anyone but Angelica's voice. That's like all of that. I think it makes it just even that much better of a of a solution, right? Now, all of that being said, again, I want to stay very loyal to what I've said about when you acknowledge a, when when you analyze a piece of work, you acknowledge that you are analyzing what's between the front cover and the back cover and nothing else. And still, on that level, right, on that level, I still think it works to have Angelica do the narration here. I'm just saying, if you're a musical theater junkie, if you're like me, if you occasionally like to indulge in analyzing the emotional weight, as long as it doesn't compromise your objective analysis of the piece of work, I, I find that to be a really interesting emotional footprint, you know, because... We are, as theatrical storytellers, like a lot of us are very emotional beings. And I feel like it's worth paying respect to the emotional weight that the company is bringing into Angelica's narration. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say yes. Sorry. Kind of. No, I went it's off amazing. for a bit. Sorry. No, all good. I, it's just one of the, another thing. I just have nothing to add to it, so I'll choose not to. That was beautifully done. Um, Angelica's narration here, interesting. Like the 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 lines, I find the lines fascinating. Um, they they kind of say everything you want for this moment from like a neutral perspective of approaching this moment of your firstborn child just like being murdered but mm-hmm. with respect to like how this actually happened i find some of the lines very fascinating right like there is suffering too terrible to name you hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable but hamilton kind of pushed his son in the opposite direction like you you didn't hold his child tight at all he like encouraged him to go into this duel. And so I just find that, that it's interesting. Like it, it's not a, a negative or anything. I just like trying to take these lines and apply them to the situation. Cause I think when you are analyzing this and you know, someone's kid has just been killed, you kind of 
you, the the details don't matter a whole lot, right? You just immediately mm-hmm. start sympathizing with that. But I also think the lines don't match up with how Alexander Hamilton kind of approached this whole situation, right? Because none of this was unimaginable, right? Actually, dying in a duel is... You're either going to die or not die. It's like half imaginable, right? Like it, it's actually so imaginable. Like those are the mo- like those are the outcomes. <laughs> You're going to shoot each other. In in the context of being Alexander Hamilton's son, yes, I have a slightly different reading of this this introductory uh, lyrics here, if I may. Um, sure. I think I, I think it's really when you're when you're looking at this song, when you're really dealing with it, I think it's important to understand that this is very much intentionally sung from Angelica's voice. She is the speaker here, and that matters. So uh any time in this opening stanza, and this informs what comes after. Anytime you've got the pro, you've got you or your, you can replace that with I. And what Angelica is saying is she cannot imagine losing a child. Right? It's unimaginable, unimaginable to her the pain and strife that she would endure if she lost her child that that's what's going on here. So like she's coming in to say, Oh my goodness, can you imagine what they are going through? I cannot. Sure. That makes sense. You, you you push that unimaginable shit away. You, you, you just push it down. Right. It's that is so bad. The idea of the idea of losing a child you can't overcome that. You just swim down further into misery. Yeah. So that's that's how I take it, right? So like was was it imaginable that Philip Hamilton would die in a duel? Absolutely. Because <laughs> because his brain is not where the resemblance stops. Because he <laughs> right. resembles his father in behavior as well, you know? But what Angelica is saying is, I have to comment on this moment, and I have to comment on the strength of Eliza, because I cannot imagine navigating this moment. Right, and and part of this kind of just afterwards is, you know, the Hamiltons move uptown and learn to live with the unimaginable. I always liked Regardless of what I was going to think of this song from the beginning, the idea of Hamilton moving uptown is so symbolic to me. This is a city guy. This is a guy who Mm -hmm. wants to be in the thick of things. He's loud. He writes like he's running out of time. He's a notable person, a notable politician. He's in the throes of New York City. Like, that's Hamilton, right? And to move uptown is so symbolic. Like, like that's just so unhappy. Like, it really helps kind of nail that, like, he's going through the unimaginable. Right? Because, like, Hamilton would never move uptown. Ever. Yeah. Like, that's not him. He, this guy could live anywhere, and he would choose to live in the big city. Like, in the middle of it would be his choice. 
Oh, absolutely. I, re- I really like where you're going with that because it's a bit like, you know, uh, Leo DiCaprio's character in Wolf of Wall Street, like moving out to like Amish, Missouri somewhere. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like ha- ha- Hamilton just so needs the hustle and bustle. Yeah. Right. In a um, way, how- I like I like here that that kind of parallels George Washington's going back to Mount Vernon one last right. time. And having his own like vine and fig tree, like maybe, maybe Hamilton has somehow learned a lesson of Washington. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah. Hamilton's lines here are are interesting. Um, you know, he's spending time in the garden. He walks alone to the store. Um, it's quiet out town. He never liked the quiet before, and I, I that's part maybe why I'm thinking like he would never choose this. Like he didn't like the quiet before. Yeah. Like this is a new For sure thing but kind of interesting as well as he goes to church now he tell you, i mean hamilton actually has as, as little have we seen him uh father philip other than getting him into this fucking mess uh he has like five other children six other children like he has other kids he's gotta take care of and he takes them to church now which for the time would not have been uncommon probably isn't uncommon now in, in the states especially um but for him it is like this is a huge departure from where he's been at up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a, always always identified as a Christian, but never really, you know, practiced, right? And there's talk of God in the musical, but this is like, this is really, this is a different point for him. Like, his life has changed, and he's become more introspective. I think that what you're talking about, him moving upstate, and that being a total, like, sea change for him, the script backs you up on that wholeheartedly. This is a whole new Hamilton. You know, this is this is Hamilton two, uh, Depression Boogaloo. Like this is a very different, <laughs> yeah. a right. very different version of him. Now, the next thing I find fascinating, and I've always found it fascinating, there are two lines in this song that are very unHamilton like to me, and the first one, and in a way that really works for the musical, it's just a departure from how the musical's gone so far, which makes sense because Philip just died. So it makes sense that things are changing. Um, But the musical, in its own way, kind of asks us to have pity on Hamilton instead of allowing us to just decide whether or not we should have pity on him. The line is, um, if you see him in the street, walking by himself, talking to himself, have pity. The show is kind of asking us, if you see this happening, have pity on him. Which I find is fascinating, because I think the alternative would to have been not include this line, and many people would have pity on him. His fucking son just died. He's moved uptown, right? But the show kind of putting that idea in there, I, I find it fascinating, because then it brings up the question, does he deserve it? Does Alexander Hamilton deserve our pity in this moment? Because the reality of the situation is he bears a huge portion of the responsibility for how we got here. Like, he has gotten himself into this moment. This didn't accidentally happen to him, right? So I find it interesting that the show is bringing up this idea of pity when it could have. Another choice would have just been to let the sense of pity be there as much as it wanted to be for each individual person. So I'm wondering why make that choice. I like it. I like the choice. I just think that's a, that's a choice to invoke the idea that we should have pity on him. I like the choice, too. I think it's a weak one. I think it's a bad one. Um, I, th- I, I think this is an example of poor musical making. I just happen to like it as well. 
Um, I, uh, I do not know this. I just wonder if pity was the word chosen because it rhymes with city. And I right. wonder if, if it would have been more impactful if we had just discovered without prompting that Eliza had decided to forgive him. I think that's part of the equation, though, because you need yeah. if you don't if you don't have. I think maybe the calculation in writing this is like if the audience does not have pity for Hamilton by the end of this song. They will not buy the fact that Eliza forgives him. And if you don't buy the fact that Eliza forgives him, the rest of this musical just sucks because you're just like fucking mad. <laughs> right. Right. So so I do wonder sometimes, like, is pity included because it rhymes with city or is pity included because it primes the pump for you to accept that Eliza has forgiven him. Like, let's go ahead and get the viewer in the headspace where they can accept that she has accepted. Yeah. I think, I think I like the choice. I think I like the choice in the sense that we have two and a half minutes here to get from Eliza ripping her hand away from Hamilton to her forgiving him. And so we have to be expeditious. Yeah. You need to be moving people along that forgiveness train from one end to the other. Like it's going across the whole, whole track. Um, you know, definitely the easiest section of the musical to extend if you were going to give more songs to the musical. Like, this portion of the Hamilton's life is the easiest to say, well, they kind of crunched it in <laughs> really quickly. So I think, I think I like the choice in the sense that it helps achieve what they need to achieve to get us to the next spot. I do think, though, it's like, man, this is one of those moments where sometimes telling is great. Like, I, every time someone says, like, show, don't tell, I'm like, ah, sometimes telling is real nice, though. Right, like um, you know, Snape's memories in 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 Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. Oh yeah, like that's a, for sure. Those, yeah. those, that chapter yeah. is just telling us, like it's all tell, no show, and it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Right, like sometimes telling is the right choice. More often than not, it's showing. And I think in this point, it's like I wish I could have got to pity on my own without the the musical having to prompt me. But either way, I'm happy with it because it gets us to where we need to go. And ultimately, it's rather unimportant in the in the whole two and a half hour experience that I've experienced up until this point. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. If if show don't tell was an absolute always abject lesson, then no one ever explained it to John Steinbeck, you know. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Right. 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 That's exactly right. Maybe that's where it came from. Maybe maybe Steinbeck's rival authors were like, fuck this guy. I don't know, maybe, but you know, he's I, incredible, I, man. I, I recently did. got two different people reading East of Eden. Boom! Two people I work with are currently reading East of Eden. So good. It's one of my favorite books, honestly. It really is East of Eden. Uh, is I, one I, of my I, all-time uh, yeah. favorite books. Incredible. Um, Hamilton, kind of just in the throes of depression. You know, Philip, you would like it uptown. It's quiet uptown. Um, kind of still, obviously, mourning the the loss of his son and then angelica says he is working through the unimaginable which again to them might make sense for hamilton though this is a very imaginable scenario considering his actions Mm -hmm. like his actions if you had given a list of possible consequences this is very much in the center part of what those consequences could have been for for him absolutely i want to take this opportunity real quick to acknowledge i believe it was our superstar listener responder mia who uh, sent us something previously about this being like it's entitled Hamilton for a reason. 
uh, and not Alexander. And I agree. And I, I believe it was Mia. And I, I am so sorry to whomever else it was if it wasn't, in fact, Mia. But I believe it was Mia, our superstar responder. Anyway, this, like, the whole unimaginable thing, like, yes, it's imaginable to Hamilton, uh, Alexander, the Alexander version of Hamilton. But it's very, like, it's imaginable to him, but unimaginable to Eliza and Angelica. They're both like, how did this happen, right? So I think part of what's included in all of that is doubling down on the fact that this is not just the story of Alexander Hamilton. It may start with a bastard orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, but it has grown into the story of all of the Hamiltons, right? And I think that that unimaginable thing, I think that really is involved here because. Hamilton should be smart enough to see it coming. And I think that you make that point really, really well. I think he should be smart enough to understand Philip is at risk of catastrophe here. But Eliza can be forgiven. Eliza had no reason to believe. No, nothing to do with this. Yeah, so for her and for Philip's aunt Angelica, it is definitely unimaginable. So I find the use of that word here very appropriate. Um, speaking of the Hamiltons, we, we get Eliza back, and this staging is, is or blocking is nuts. Eliza, yeah. eyes so of good. steel, eyes of steel, stands there, like, looks straight forward, and continue like, that is a fucking, like, just nerves of steel. To, like, it's one of those things, it's kind of like Hamilton's um, what's it or um, Lemuel Miranda is kind of his the way he approaches those, like small and subtle lines, right? Mm-hmm. Where they seem really easy, but it's actually very difficult. Philip Sue having to stand there and look like upset and depressed and open to forgiveness, but not there yet, and having to do that while staring into like the black, right? Like when you're standing on stage, everything's black, and so like. It's very, I, I just can't imagine having the, the nerves to make that performance because it's very convincing. Oh, she nails it. And she absolutely she does, nails it. She does silently what a lot of people cannot do with. If you gave some people an hour on stage and it was un, uninterrupted, no one would bother them and they could just tell you exactly what they thought and felt. Philip Sue can do more in a moment than some other people can do with an hour-long monologue. Right. It's incredible, this performance. Just bonkers. Hamilton, I don't know how to feel about this. This song is easily, for me, one, not the... If you, ha, if you absolutely had to make a list of, in terms of writing, if you had to rank the Hamilton songs in terms of writing and you didn't have a choice, so you had to do a first to worst list this song's writing is the most kind of like i think about it the most because mm-hmm. here again we're about to get to the point where where philippa sue or sorry <laughs> eliza forgives hamilton that's where we're going with this song that is the end of this song right so for hamilton here to use eliza's lyrics back at her again when the last time he was doing this was after he was fucking mariah reynolds Right? 
it is strange writing to me to evoke that because as an audience member i'm now remembering the last time hamilton did this was being a fucking dickhead right but now it ends up being endearing in a way and that i've always struggled a little bit with that like the look at where we are look at where we started like look at where we are hamilton this is the situation you have dragged eliza like from earth through down to hell and you are now standing beside eliza in hell and going like well shit look at where we are it's like, well, Hamilton, like you, you got her there. You didn't accident. Like this is your fault, right? And so, like the writing here, I struggle with it just the slightest bit because it's evoking something that made me really mad last time Hamilton did it, while also kind of not really explaining that this is Hamilton's fault. It's like, fuck, look at where we are. It's like, well, you took her there. You bought the train tickets. You put her on the train. You put her luggage in the luggage cart. Like you knew this is where we were going, mate. Like. So the writing here just falls a little bit for me, just slightly compared to the quality of the rest of the music. <laughs> worse? Worse, Ellen? How could things get it possibly any worse? We're on the threshold of hell. Um, <laughs> I wonder, and I have never thought about this until you brought it up today, and therefore I appreciate you doing so very, very much. I wonder if this here in the context of this song, if this is a part of Hamilton's like self that he's corrected, like we have it here and then we have forgiveness because we're supposed to understand that he's learned to not be a total gaslighting bastard that uses his partner's own words against them. Maybe now, maybe now the implication is that he's actually speaking in good faith when he was speaking. Yeah, but his, in bad tu- his faith tuition, previously. his tuition fee for that lesson was his son. Like, like, like learning now is a bit late. Like that, that's the that's it, it, it's just I find this writing is just not. It's still high quality, but if I'm trying to, Hamilton is a very well written musical. I think this is where it kind of drags the most for me. Because again, we're going to get him saying, if I could spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, motherfucker, he came to you for advice. He said, this is my very first tool. They don't cover the, you could have. It's not like you didn't have this choice. You are now saying it as if you didn't have this choice. If I could spare, like you could have, and you did not. And so like, it's just where the writing drags the most for me. Because I feel like, where we're ending for forgiveness, none of what Hamilton is saying convinces me that he should be forgiven by Eliza specifically. It's tricky, right? Because like they did make a musical. They had control over how things were written. They had control over what they say. And we have celebrated their good moments. We have critiqued others, but like sometimes it comes down to like this is an adaptive work so part of the adaptation is figuring out how on stage to represent the actual choices that Hamilton made in his life and sometimes you're going to get just the best that they could come up with that being said you know i'm starting to bump on it too you know it's something that that i'm I, i'm dealing with today for the first time because you brought it up and it's something that i think i'm going to continue to wrestle with the the more i think about the show because it is, it, it's a little, it's a little bit hanky. It's a little bit it's weird. Just, it just, yeah, it, it's, it's a little. Like, it's 
we yeah. got to get to forgiveness and we have to get there. And my guess as to how they chose these lines is that this show has been so expert in callbacks and reusing different lines and themes and choreography to, to great effect that I think it follows that we'd also really enjoy this callback. And I just enjoyed this callback the least. It's not that I don't yeah. enjoy it or think it could have been written better. I just think if I have to pick moments that are just the slightest bit janky for me, how we get to forgiveness is one of them. Because I, I just like the, the, like the part where I do enjoy the callbacks, there is a bit of a roller coaster here because I really do enjoy the callback of um, I'm not afraid. I know who I married. Just mm -hmm. let me stay here by your side. And that would be enough. That's Hamilton acknowledging like, oh, he's way down here. If he can just get back to by her side, that would be enough. Right. Like he's acknowledging like, fuck, I've got myself into this position way down here. I'm going to try like, right. And I think that callback works really well. Mm -hmm. Right. I just think the other ones before it work less well. Yeah. I don't. Guy, I, I, I really can't say that I disagree. I really do. Th there's a lot of me that's with you there. And I think that that's a it's a very detailed and astute analysis. You know, you, you do wonder, like you've you, you've spent so much time on reprisals and callbacks. Like. Is that is it possible that this doesn't work for for the viewer here because the cart is leading the horse? You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a callback for the sake of having a callback instead of driving lyrically. I don't know, you know, but it's yeah. it's something that's very interesting to explore. Yeah, and then then we get to some better stuff. Like I like the the rest of this makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not again. I just want to point out like part of critiquing it is because I love it. If you're listening to this, like Hamilton, as great as it is, is not flawless, and I think this is where some of the the flaws show a little bit. Um, but the rest of this, like, Eliza, do you like it uptown? It's quiet uptown. He is trying to do the unimaginable. Like, that is all very thematically rich there, mm -hmm. right? Trying, now he's making an effort to make things better, right? Like, does Eliza like it uptown? It's quiet uptown. Like, it is unimaginable. Like, he is trying to fix this with Eliza, which seems unimaginable, right? Like, that is, that makes a, that's really working for me. Like, we're getting into the rest mm -hmm. of the song that really works for me. Um. Yeah, and then they start walking with each other, walking in the park long after dark, taking in the sights of the city. Right, we're we're getting there. We're getting to forgiveness now, and this is the part where it starts working for me a little bit more. I love in this moment and moments surrounding it all of these different uh, couplets of people surrounding Eliza and Hamilton. Uh, Multiple pause to do, if you will, uh, you know, because we get to see as we're as they're walking the length of the city, but they're still disconnected. We get to see these dancers on the revolve having a physical connection that Eliza and Hamilton lack. And I think that contrast is is really great. It just yeah. really explains like how they're physically separated and yet there are random people dancing around them that are able to embrace, but she won't take his hand until she does. That makes her taking his hand matter that much more because of the contrast we've had. It's simple, now, but I just, I love it. 
Yeah, and so then Angelica kind of comes back in to, mm-hmm. to narrate, and this narration works really well for me, kind of, I think, priming us for what Eliza does as Grace. Like, there's a Grace too powerful to name. And when I try and think of the... Re- like, like part of this is true. Why on earth would Eliza ever forgive him for any of this? Right? Like, why? Why, why would you do that? Grace seems to be a good answer. Or the mm-hmm. best answer that I can come up with. So it makes sense to me that grace is the the word that's used here to kind of prime us for what Eliza's about to do. Because, like, if we were trying to figure out does Hamilton deserve the forgiveness, I'd say absolutely not. Right? Like, not a, not a chance. Like, if you're trying to figure out why Eliza would forgive him, I have no idea. I can't point to a single thing. Like, as much as the lyrics are now working for me, like, they're not a good reason to forgive Hamilton for any of this. And so... Grace seems to be the best answer to me. Yeah, I think it's the only answer. You know, the I've always interpreted the use of that word in a storytelling context to mean forgiveness or understanding that you acknowledge is not earned when you give said understanding or forgiveness out. Right. It's yeah, that's exactly that's, right. Like grace is the best answer, I think. That that's how I yeah, that's how I think of it. And so I think that's that's what's happening here. Yeah, it's kind of like taking the high road. If Hamilton was like in a sewer somewhere and the high road was the top of the Empire State Building, like, <laughs> like you're like, you are just, you're going so high to find that high road, Eliza, that Grace is the only answer, I think. Like, I, I don't know. That works for me. Grace works for me as an answer. But it, to me, it's the only plausible one. I would, I would, like, you know what? If you're listening to this, send us an email. A, I want some. I want someone to email, even if it's not your actual opinion, defending the forgiveness here, like saying yes, Hamilton did deserve it, and here's why. Because I don't think I can find a good reason for this other than grace, like that Eliza just decides against all odds to forgive him. Maybe that's the only way she can get through it. I I don't know. But, like, to me, it doesn't add up that Hamilton has earned or deserves this forgiveness in the slightest. I don't think we have enough time on stage, but I think what's important is that we trust Eliza as a character and we understand that she has decided, you know? But, you know, I am am very curious to hear what additional commentary uh, listeners would have and how they, they chime in on this debate because I think that, you know, it makes... It makes Eliza a very good character here, a very good woman, like a like a quality person, right? Not like a well built character. I mean, this person is a good person. Like they would they would help you change a spare tire, you know? Right. Um, but like after just, you murdered their child. <laughs> yeah the the fact that she's capable of this, you know, it makes you wonder like why and and would. And would you be capable of the same? I think that's an important thing to explore, too. Oh, no. Yeah, look. No. Oh, you don't There's think so? No way. Oh, I am not capable. You'd be of over that. it? <laughs> oh, fuck that. Absolutely. If you get my child killed after you cheated on me, like, and wrote about it in the newspaper, like, <laughs> I am so out. Like, what? Of course not. Like, Eliza, great. Like, again, Grace is the only explanation here. I am not yeah. capable of that. There's no I, way. You, I think you you're pay, right. You could. I, you can I give really me do think you're right. For therapy for the rest of my life and not forgive that. Like, there's no. Yeah. No. 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 Uh, 
Well, Eliza is a better I, person or a worse person, depending on how you look at it. Like she, whatever you think of her choice here, because I think you can argue that her choice to forgive Hamilton is fucking bonkers, right? Like whatever you think of her choice, she's a, a better or worse person than I, right? Like, yeah. I think she's a better person than I, for sure. I think that that level of forgiveness and understanding, I think that that is something to aspire to. Um, I worry about it being very dangerous for her own health, both, you know, physical and mental, right? But I think that it's definitely admirable that she could have the strength and the uh, emotional fortitude to forgive all that, you know? One just hopes that it comes from an honest place of hoping for well-being and the betterment of the universe writ large instead of the the darker alternative that might eventually devolve down to some kind of Stockholm Syndrome, right? It may just be like, I've spent at least 20 years with you, Alexander. I'm not going to be with anyone else. I might as well forgive you. It's not right. like they could have a healthy divorce at this point in history, you know? Yeah. But I, I, she's also I, very young. Like by the time this musical is over, gone, Alexander's dead. She's not even 50. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, she's like, she's guess, really guess, young. Yeah. Like the, the, like in terms of, especially for like a nowadays life expectancy, but she lives to be mm -hmm. like 98 or a hundred or something ridiculous anyway. And so like, but yeah, yeah. By the time this is over, she's not even 50. And so she's probably in her early to mid forties here. Like still a, quite a young person to be going through all this. Right. I I choose to think that she does so with strength and understanding and she's made she's made a reasonable choice here because she chooses to love her partner. I mean warts and all, he is her life partner and she would rather have the life that she decided to make with her partner rather than have things get upended. And I think there's strength in that decision. And I I respect it. There we are. I have nothing else to add for this one. We will be getting back to politics in the next one. So <laughs> we um, will indeed. Yeah, I got nothing else for this one. That was awesome. Yeah, I will um if I may, uh, uh I I do quickly uh whilst wrapping uh up here. Um don't know when we're gonna push this one out. I know we've got a backlog. Um still trying to yeah, figure I still out. Need like, audio the, for the last two. The audio. Um <laughs> But we uh we are in fact we're recording this episode uh as Hurricane Ida is making landfall. So I don't want to I don't want to to like push this out without acknowledging that. Um anybody that's adversely uh, affected by Hurricane Ida and listening to this, I just hope you understand that you are in our thoughts. Um I'm in Atlanta. You are not physically that far away from me. Um and I've got people, you know, uh, a couple friends of mine whose family has evacuated, and we're, uh, you know, as we as we accept new people into Atlanta uh, that get here, I just uh, want you to understand that uh, we're thinking of you, and uh, hope that we can brighten your day. Hope that this uh, return to podcasting in some way is some kind of positivity in your life. So, there's that. And there we are. Are we good for the outro? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Let's Dive Deep Hamilton. If you did, ratings, reviews, subscribing, all of that. 
fun stuff. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. Send in your defense of Hamilton here. If you've got one, I would love uh, to read it. Twitter is at let's dive deep. If you want to tweet in your, if you can defend Hamilton in one tweet, that would be incredible. I don't even think that's possible. Um, in the next episode, we will be getting back to politics. There's either two or three more episodes deciding on how we want to break down the last five songs. Cause trying to break those down into two episodes, there's no good point to cut them. And so trying to figure out how we want to do the last episode is going to be uh, wild, but I think we have on the schedule three left. So we're kind of winding down, getting back to politics. Uh, we're going to have an election coming up. We're going to have, you know, a duel coming up. It's going to be exciting. Um, so I hope you guys are ready for that. Again, apologies for the delay in putting these out. Life is busy and we are busy. And uh, unfortunately, podcasting comes like tertiary to almost every other adult responsibility. <laughs> and this is kind of like the happy go fun time thing we can do sometimes on Sundays when we're, we're free. So apologies for that. Otherwise, though, thank you so much for listening and we will see you in the next one.